This series on the spiritual disciplines is about giving us the tools to actually fundamentally be changed. We're embarking on the path of disciplined grace. Disciplined because there's a role for us to play. Grace because real inner change is always and only ever a free gift given to us by God. God could have created humans as immovable rocks, like blocks of granite. Instead, he gave us freedom, the capacity for moral, emotional, and spiritual transformation. We can become better people. The key is understanding how. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? Um, we're doing a series on disciplines, which is sexy, as you know. And um, I am speaking on the discipline of meditation this morning. And I need to tell you that everything that is encompassed in what has been in my mind about speaking about meditation is absolutely my wheelhouse when it comes to what is good about leading a church and teaching in church because I absolutely love anything that helps us all believe and understand that this isn't just for a few of us that somehow mystically hear something that other people don't see or hear, but it's for every single one of us. And I also need you to know that I really struggled to get this down to an appropriate length. And my default mode anyway is to speak quite fast. So I'm going to try very slowly to not do that. But do you want to like, have, do you want to have some kind of signal if you're like, you have now gone beyond the point of intelligibility? Do you want to oh. yeah, that? Just we'll slow down more than stop, probably. I really will try. I do this and I'm, I'm working on it, but I'm sorry if I speak too fast. I shall mindfully slow down my words now. But my guess is that of all of the disciplines that we are talking about in this series, this is probably one that we have as a starting point the least consensus about what it is we're actually talking about and probably even the least consensus about what it is that would be the ideal goal of a destination when it comes to developing our own personal discipline of meditation. <clears throat> Sorry, that was loud. Um, I think that we are probably in some different camps when it comes to it. Um, some campers have maybe been taught about Christian meditation only along the lines of rumination on scripture. Um, and we entirely agree and believe that the word of God is a very special thing and it's very, very good for us to, to ponder on it and to meditate on it and to wrestle with it because it is beautiful and it will change you. And that whole concept is included in what I'm talking about this morning, but it definitely isn't necessarily entirely what I'm talking about this morning. Other campers quite well could have developed their own personal practice of mindful meditation or other kinds of med meditation um, in your own mental health life. Um, but maybe we don't necessarily see that as having anything to do with Christian meditation. Um, we're probably not uh, most famous for our meditative practices as Christians, are we? Um, but actually we have a very, very rich heritage of it. Swathes of literature written over centuries from all traditions, Catholic to Protestant, Eastern Orthodox to Western Puritan. And the testimony of these practices are actually incredibly uniform given all of the other ways that we know there are so many differences. Um, and they originate, obviously, long before we have any scientific understanding of why these things are good for us. And now that we do, it is interesting, isn't it, that we call those writers the mystics. Ooh, like the sort of old wizards who used to do something that we don't have any idea what it's talking about. Um, and obviously, there is a 
massive range of what we are talking about when we talk about a meditative practice. Because it's a loose word encompassing a lot of mode of thought and technique. And I am not pretending to be an expert on any of them. Um, but what I do want to try and do is marry um, for us what we may understand as the benefits of a mindful meditative practice um, with what we have learned about the presence and the experience and the power of the Holy Spirit. How it all works and how it is entirely and completely in keeping with Jesus' teaching about the Spirit. Because we do often, I believe, like to think about things in binary terms, don't we? The sort of, this is the spiritual and then there's this, this, the physical, and they're very different, or you know, or science, and then there's faith. Like there's, there's sort of these two opposing forces, and we've got to somehow sort of decide which side we're on, or work out how to live between the two, but step between them. Um, and what I love, the more I understand about any of this stuff, the more I experience, the more I learn, is that in our fearfully and wonderfully made bodies, and our incredible brains, and in what I have come to understand about how our spirits engage with God, that all of these things are actually unbelievably intertwined. Um, between my own upbringing, which involved various cultural settings and expressions of Christianity, um, and then rediscovering um, faith in our church in London, uh, which was very much a place that was centered on the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, I kind of entered into this whole mystical arena with an absolute belief in the miraculous, in uh, the sense that there is a spiritual realm that is very real, um, because I had seen it be real in ways that I could explain in no other way. Um, I had seen bodies undeniably healed. Kelsey's was not the first story. We've heard of this kind of thing. We have seen things, I mean, I have seen things with my eyes. I have, I watched a leg grow once and in a way that like doctors couldn't deny. I had seen people who had been told something was deaf, you know, who'd been given death sentences. I had seen unbelievable, there is no other explanation for this thing other than the spirit is real. I had also seen deliverances. I had also seen possibly less sort of visibly dramatic, but no less powerful in terms of their impact on people's lives, the emotional healing that happens when we open ourselves regu regularly to the power of the spirit. And it would sort of mean that I couldn't, not believe in it. I couldn't sort of go on from here and doubt it. Um, and like we are trying to do in our church services, I attended a church that taught us how to tune ourselves into the presence of the Spirit. Um, but what I did not learn anything really about was this sort of woo-woo of meditation. No one really talked about it. I didn't really, it wasn't sort of something that was, that was discussed very much. Um, and then we moved to Los Angeles in 2016, and quite quickly after that, I started going to yoga. And I started going to yoga purely as an exercise in survival. At that point, we were running the entire thing from our home in Culver City, so that was our family home, and it was our office, and it was our, so we had our church gatherings, and it's where we had all sorts of meetings. And it was also a house, it was a really sweet little bungalow, but it had like, it was, you had to go through every room to get to another room. And there, were, there was literally no boundaries on any of our life. It was not a time I want to go back to ever. Um, and so I, I, and there was a yoga studio at the end of our road, and I would just go there um, for escape. And I quickly found that something very interesting was happening during Shavasana. And you are all Angelinos. I'm sure you know perfectly well what Shavasana is. But just in case, it's the corpse pose, 
You can lie down, arms out, legs out at the end of the practice, and um, it's for five, six, seven minutes, completely still, eyes closed, so no more, no more active work, no more conscious breathing, but you're usually guided into a slow kind of bodily and mental full relaxation. And most yogis will tell you it's the most important part of the practice. And I suppose this would be part of it in why that experience happened so dramatically for me was because we were um, living in a time of our lives where we were so reliant on the Holy Spirit to be real to us. We were doing quite a lot of worshipping and praying and receiving him out of sheer desperation of, dear God, what have we done? I'm moving to this city and please be near us and please help us build a church because we haven't got a clue what we're doing. And it was definitely a time where... Uh, my own sense of the physical sensation of the Holy Spirit, which is a whole thing, let's talk about that for just one second, that we don't, that it's not in any way given to be a superior, superior experience if you have a sense of what the Spirit does when he touches your body, but lots of people testify to um, similar things, often fluttering of the eyelids, often a, a flushness, a sense of heat, um, I have a little strange thing, which is that I feel like uh, a pressure in my fingertips. Usually, I just if I experience that, I just go and ask God who or what I should be praying for. Sometimes I get a weird feeling in my lips. Um, it's called interoception, this sense that we are aware of what's going on, our, on in our body. It's actually very good for our brains to do it. Um, but I don't think it's a discussion we have enough in church. Maybe just if you, if you know someone here who started receiving the Spirit, ask them what their physical sensations are when they receive the Holy Spirit, just for fun. Um, but I would be lying there in this Shavasana experience, and all of the things that I became accustomed to in terms of telling myself that I was receiving the Holy Spirit were happening there. Um, lots of flushed eyelids, lots of emotional release, lots of just pictures and things that I totally associate with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lots of just feeling like Jesus was talking to me and those kind of things. Um, and so then I wanted to know why. Um, what is it about what I am, have been doing in this practice that is now leading to me this space where I find it the most easy to be in touch with the Holy Spirit? So I had, as I said, the privilege of learning this stuff from people in church, from unbelievably anointed people who taught us just the practicalities of, of how this happens and how the Spirit works when we get together. But I don't remember one single discussion around uh, the neurological process that are going on for us, about opening ourselves, about our bodies. Because if you watch, I mean, I was watching just then, when the spirit's here and, and it's going on, people's bodies respond in remarkably similar ways. You know, it's, it's a bit, you don't watch people, it's weird to open your eyes and find out that you've been watched in worship, but, it, but our, our bodies are impacted by this stuff. And it's, it, as I said, the more, the more I'm around this stuff, the more I talk to people about what their fear is or their hesitation or their questions around it, if we can do anything to demystify this stuff, this is what we want to do. So let us, shall we, uh, start with Jesus' teaching on it. Uh, we're looking at a section of John's Gospel this morning, which is known as the final discourse, and it's when he first teaches the disciples about the Holy Spirit, the one who's going to come uh, after he leaves them. And he makes five promises. Here they are. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The next one. 
When the advocate comes, he will testify about me. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. And then the last one, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Um, so he is clearly described here, the Holy Spirit, as speaking, testifying, reminding, helping, actively listening. And the word, word advocate is interesting. In other translations, they have it as comforter or counselor, but advocate is quite important. It comes from the Greek parakletos, paraklete, uh, which is from a verbal root, meaning to come alongside, a partner, a co-witness, a cheerleader, less about the not very many clothes and the high kicks and more about this sort of being beside us, seeing what's happening and cheering us on towards the kingdom. Jesus, we shall note, did not say, I'm going to go away and you're going to remember what I've done and you're going to read the instruction manual daily, you're going to memorize it and then you're going to build my kingdom out of these great morality bricks. He said, someone else is coming and he's going to be the one who reminds you about what I've said and he's going to be the one that keeps you connected to me connected to the Father, and he's going to remind you what I've said and what I've done, and he's going to keep you in communion with us. And then this is very clearly depicted in the picture that Jesus gives in this section of the true vine. So chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He prunes, he cleans, I'm going to skip to verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's actually a bigger statement than is necessarily apparent to us straight away because the vineyard is one of the most, um, most used and also most significant images in Ju Judaism. And, it, and it's a picture that very much represents uh, the covenant people of God planted and tended to by God so that um, Israel will produce fruit. It's very much a collective metaphor, um, the vineyard as a national picture. But now we're all branches growing from one single vine. We're all attached to the vine. Remain, abide on the vine where you receive everything that you need utterly dependent on the vine. This is not just for the religious professionals, the priests, the pastors, the shepherds. This is where we all live now here on the vine, everything we need in connection to Jesus, all instruction, all the daily connection, all the access to the power of heaven. And so if we live in the exact same kingdom age that the disciples did, I wonder if you ever, like me, wonder why it potentially sometimes feels harder for us to know the intimate presence and power of the Holy Spirit than maybe it did for them. And obviously they, you know, the, the day of Pentecost was probably a thing that maybe we won't get to experience entirely just because of the sheer power and what it was that the Holy Spirit was poured out in this moment and I'm sure that affected them greatly. But also I think probably there was a degree of practice in their very... Um, ancient Jewish ways that we've lost a little bit of sight of. Because we don't, you know, whenever you think, you know when we talk about how Jesus um, just knew his father's voice, and I think we probably think, well, he just, you know, he just heard it, didn't he? Or he just, no, Jesus would have, 
Jesus spent a lot of time slow, a lot of time alone, a lot of time doing something very akin to what we understand of meditation. It's a very rich heritage of meditation in the Hebrew tradition. Isaac, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel all talk about it. There are two Hebrew words that are used a lot in the Old Testament for meditate, Hagad and Siach. Um, and they do encompass this sense of sort of pondering and ruminating and focusing on something. But central to both of them is the idea of uttering and murmuring and speaking. It's very much a sense of conversation in this word, a two-way dialing up and tuning in. I don't know how many of you will know the writings of a, um, a woman called Glennon Doyle. She had a huge Christian following um, until she fell in love with a woman, and now she doesn't have a huge Christian following anymore, because that'll do it. Um, she wrote a book last year called um, Untamed, which was you may have heard of. It was on the New York bestselling list for, I don't know, ages. Um, and it's a sort of memoir um, guidebook for women to free themselves of the shackles of the patriarchal ideology. A few of these books. It's a very good one. I've sent it to a few friends. Um, and it reads very well like a woman who knows Jesus to me. Um, but I, there, there's a problem with it for me in terms of um, some of her premise, which is that she relies very deeply on her own innate knowing. And she, she sort of talks to women about going to solitary places and to sink down into your own, yeah, deep own sense of just knowing and listening to that voice. Because the thing that trips me up with that, and in fact any meditative practice that encourages, to, encourages us to seek emptiness or to seek something that's already within ourselves or to seek um, connection with a sort of universe in a general sense, um, is, is that... I, I'm, what, what are we believing we're actually asking for from those things, is my question. You know, there's sort of practice, I mean, it's, it's, we're in LA. I don't, I'm not, I don't think for a second I'm teaching about these things that exist, but I, I went past a, a billboard the other day that said, stop here, um, this is your sign to let go of all negativity. And I just thought, well, how do we, who decides, how do we decide that? Do you know what I need to let go? Do you know what's going to be banned in my house then? Socks. I'm banning all socks because socks cause me an enormous amount of negativity. My children have no respect for how long I have been asking them to not just leave socks wherever they want to leave them. Absolutely no respect for me or my voice in this regard. They then complain when they can't find a pair and then they try and steal mine. So socks cause me negativity, so socks should be banned. I mean, I'm being facetious, aren't I? But there's a... Uh, There's a sense in which deep within my knowing is a good sense of intuition sometimes and is also an enormous ego and is also some deep wounds. And the sense that we're trusting ourselves with what's down there is my problem. I would much rather not be a floating branch, trusting in my own branchiness. I'd much rather believe that there was something I'm connected to it's the subjectivity of the whole thing, if it's down to us. And I do, there's something about the premise that I do think is absolutely beautiful, that we as humans are wonderful, created in God's image, incredible, amazing beings. 
but we do also know that the heart is deceitful above all things. And I just can't help but feel that the real cry of humanity is a longing for a truth that's outside of us, not within us. The word for spirit in the Hebrew and the Greek, ruach and pneuma, also encompasses the word breath, almost like life force. It seems to be implied that there is a deep biblical connection between our physical breath and the spirit of God. Breath focus is the most common kind of mindful or focused attention meditation, as I'm sure you know. It's about uh, learning to disconnect from everything else but the present moment quietening our mind, distract, uh, quieting our minds from any kind of distraction or emotion, any kind of thought, any other sensation, and bring us purely into the now. And I'm sure you know all about the health benefits. I'm sure you get advertised these apps just as much as I do. Um, studies show incredible data on improved cognitive function, attention, focus, memory. Even after just a couple of weeks of practicing it, it's also been highly um, effective in reducing trauma, in reducing stress, sorry, resolving trauma and reducing stress, um, and because it, it um, activates the parasympathetic nervous system, uh, there are also increasing data on the physical benefits to the gut, the heart, the lungs even. And this is all because a focused attention meditation prunes connections in our brain that are good and, uh, sorry, that are bad and strengthens other ones. And this isn't, you know, this isn't a workshop. Uh, it didn't feel like it would be a great use of our time to try and practice this together today because actually I think most of us learn this best when we're alone, um, free from distraction. I know I certainly do. My, I need to lie down. I can't even do this sitting up. I need all physical, any sense of discomfort to be removed. Um, I often put white noise on if there are other distracting noises. Um, and uh, turning phone notifications off and setting a time limit to it is really important. Um, there's a, yeah, it's playing like that. Uh, lots of people recommend using a shape like that. I find it helpful to visualize something like that. I don't actually find it very helpful at all to look at anything with my eyes closed. Um, if you don't have a practice like this, can I highly recommend um, setting yourself a little target this week of just trying it every day? Don't, don't set yourself a target of 10 minutes. Set yourself a target of one minute. That's the Atomic Habits guys like sort of rocket science to starting a new habit, set yourself a target of one minute every day of just practicing something like this for. It's going to give yourself a little dopamine hit of achieving that goal. Um, but this is very, very much a muscle that we strengthen when we practice it. Learning how to quieten our minds so that there is room for another voice. And do you know, 21st century Angelina knows what your biggest obstacle to this is? It's a little tangent, but it's very important that we resist the pervasive lie that we're supposed to be busy all the time. We're just hustle, 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 busy, busy, busy. And in fact, if I have one pastoral message that you could remember this morning, it would be stop it. Resist this as life opens up again. Be ruthless with your diaries. You do not have to say yes to everything. We need to be intentional non-hurriers for the kingdom of God in this city. We need to take time we need to rest. We need to take Sabbath. It's so important. Make daily space to lie down, do nothing, and just breathe. Because we hear nothing. It's so hard to get our brains into this right space of um, experiencing the spiritual. 
when we're just running around in the gamma space, like little worker bees. This is the word of the Lord. If you want to get even more technical, which I will for a second, um, but not for very long, don't worry, we would talk about brain waves, um, which are created by the synchronized electric, electrical impulses that are going on um, by the neurons that connect with each other in our brains. And here's the five states. Transcendental meditation would have delta, which is the deep sleep um, state, as their goal. Just a quick aside, that's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm not going for any of that, sort of emptying ourselves, reaching this other plane of consciousness. I don't actually know a lot about it, so I'll refrain from making any ignorant comments, but um, we are, to remind you, opening ourselves to the spirit, to the person of God, not to nothingness. Um, and we would always, always recommend you remember that it's Jesus that we're going for in terms of spiritual power, not other things. But in terms of the brain states, it's theta that we're going for. Uh, when it comes to training our brains to get into this space. Theta is like a, the funny autopilot space um, where our awareness of the physical around us becomes lessened and our imagination and ideation takes over as we get into free flow. And do you know what? I know that all this stuff was on my mind this morning, but it was really apparent to me when I went into Theta. Um, I think it was in the bridge of the second song and we stopped singing lyrics for a second, so my eyes, I stopped even thinking about there being words on the screen, and we were just kind of, I think we were repeating something for a while, so I wasn't, no, I, we weren't trying to read, um, and I was relaxed, and there was enough repetitive noise going on, and, I, and I, stopped, I felt like I was having a picture from the Lord that was for me, so I'm not gonna share it with you. Um, but I think that what I'm trying to do is to get us to recognize the times when this happens for us already. You may have experienced it, I often do it in the shower, um, repetitive noise, not very much visual stimulation. Do you ever get this, where you just have an idea or a solution just suddenly is there for you in the shower? Runners talk about getting it too. You've sort of got yourself into a rhythm of something and suddenly it's an idea, a thought, a solution, a thing. Sometimes it's a word from God, sometimes it's a scripture. It's the creative state. And interestingly, the parts of the brain that are dealing with censorship and guilt are turned off in this. It's also, oh, it's also the time, you know, just before you go to sleep, sometimes you have those weird, like, why did I just think about that? That's, that, that's the space that we've gone into, the, the, the wild, free imagination space. Children have much rate, higher rates of theta. Of course they do, the little creative, guiltless geniuses. <laughs> uh, theta is very, very good for us. And it is, if I can bring us back to this sense of what this has to do with what we're doing in church. It is where we are. You know, you know we talk about these pictures that we get, you know, if people come to the front and they go, oh, we were worshiping, we were praying, oh, they had a picture of this thing. That's where our brains have gone to when we are able to use ideation in this way. And obviously we believe that the spirit is massively involved in this, but I do believe that understanding what's going to us, on for us in pure physical terms is very, very helpful. Um, interestingly, you know, I was talking about Shavasana, uh, there's a whole thing in play in terms of um, our physicality, you know, with exercise that dopamine and serotonin are released. There's also something called ga gamma aminobutyric acid, or GABA, which works to inhibit the thinking bit of your brain. So GABA is the reason that after exercise, it's actually easier to get into a theta space. If you've ever found that, I have found that. I actually, 
I'm not doing a lot of yoga at the minute, but when I do my workouts at home, I try to make a practice of just lying down and doing the Shavasana thing for 10 minutes afterwards, because I just find it is so much easier to get to this, to this mindful space. So you could give that a go. And then I highly recommend if you want to, if you're just, you, you've done your minute for a bit and you've done your breathing, just try, as you focus on your breath with your in-breath, think about a, a, a scriptural hook, like 1 John 4, the, his perfect love, there is no fear, his perfect love casts out fear, just I receive your perfect love, and with the out-breath I cast out fear. Or, you know, your yoke is easy, your burden of light, something really simple that you're not having to think about consciously, but you are, we're reminding ourselves of these truths. Um, or you could put on a song like, I love your presence. That one's a real good one because it's just a lot of the same words um, over and over again. Give yourself the length of that song if you want to try this, just to think about your breath and say, come Holy Spirit, I receive your presence. Because, you know, he's always there. He's always working. But he absolutely responds to our invitation and he absolutely responds to... Um, whenever we are there to tune into him. Um, I have put a few of the ideas of other little practices to um, get you started on these on our website. It's a bit of a mess at the minute, but Raoul's going to help me tomorrow tidy it all up. But it's there under media on the meditation tab if you want to go and have a look at that stuff. I knew I would like to take a quick moment to talk about tongues. Yeah. yeah everyone's favorite or it is if you do it but it's not if you don't because it's weird it is weird it's so weird tongues is so weird it's fine let's all just start there um and i know that loads of us might not have been taught about it in church before and we might have also seen it in church but in a really really weird way and then no one explains it and it's just what on earth is going on there um Jesus foretold that those who followed him would speak in tongues, and it says on the day of Pentecost, everyone that was there spoke in tongues. Um, it is a form of prayer, and Paul is pretty solid on his instruction about it, that it's for the benefit of the one speaking it. It's how we, inex we express the inexpressible to God, and there is a sense that in doing it, we build ourselves up. Nowhere in the New Testament is it given as a necessity. It's free and available, but it's a matter of may, not must, it's also not a matter of it being the sort of elevated status. It's a bit like baptism in that regard. This is like the baby gift. Um, and uh, when it comes to practicing it, it is very much along the same lines that, that starting is the hard bit, uh, but it's, it is like a muscle that, you know, once you've kind of got going, it's a lot easier to do. To uh, allay any fears... The Holy Spirit, in the vast majority of cases that I have ever heard of, doesn't um, invade you with the gift of tongues. It's not going to happen without your will or agency. It is a choice to speak it out. And the hardest time, as I said, is absolutely the first. Um, I, and it, it, the, the weird part is not new because, of course, Paul told the churches 2,000 years ago not to do it in front of non-Christians because they'll think you're mad. Because it, they will, they'll think you're mad. I read about a study in Frontiers this week of a, it was a, hung, a large Hungarian study where they had tried, they'd set out to prove in quite a large sample that um, glossolalists, which is the technical term for someone who speaks in tongues, um, that it was linked to other mental disorders. Um, <laughs> they'd probably been around some people praying in tongues and thought that must be linked to a mental disorder. 
Um, but interesting, the results of the uh, study showed that it was linked to lower cortisol rates, lower rates of depression, neuroticism, and uh, higher uh, emotional stability. Isn't that interesting? Good day for tongues. <laughs> I really struggled with this. I had seen a lot of the weird. I had been, oh, at the age of 11, I, had, I went on some youth thing that my dad was speaking at, and I had a crowd of people with their hands on my head, praying tongues on me, and they didn't stop, so I, then I, sp I just spoke gibberish, and then they all stopped, and I felt so guilty, like I'd, I was really scared. That was the un unforgivable sin for a really long time. It really messed with me, and then when it came to it, when I was around a much greater sense of the Spirit's beauty and presence and loveliness, it still wasn't something that happened for me very naturally. Um, and the first time that I did it was very much in this kind of dot, dot, said a couple of things, didn't like it at all. Now I find it really difficult to do it from a completely cold start, but it does just happen when the Spirit is here in that theater space of worship we were in earlier on. I found myself just speaking in tongues without any decision. You may have heard people praying in tongues for you when you're at the front if you come for prayer. Um, if it helps to see it in just purely neurological terms, what we're trying to do, we're calming our minds so that we can listen. We're praying, we're receiving, um, but we're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit for you. I've finished talking about tongues now. The whole vision that we have for church, certainly for the Sunday services part of this, is that you would be increasingly enabled to receive from the Spirit to know the Spirit, to recognize the, his voice, and to take this with you for the rest of the week. This is not about let's all come here and just have this thing happen here. It's not, it's not the point of it at all. There is something about faith, though, when we're all together, um, which is just this very simple principle of uh, it's all added together. And I, if anyone ever tries to make you, I'll tell you that they understand faith and it's, you know, makes sense. I don't believe them. There is something about when we are together and our faith being here together for the spirits present that in my experience, in our experience, in anything we have ever seen, enhances his work. In a minute, we are going to stand and have a go at some of this. Please know that he is a great respecter of fear and he is a gentleman and I have never ever seen the spirit invade somebody that doesn't want to be invaded. When we, if you're, I will explain this for anyone who isn't familiar with it. What we always do at the end of a service is invite everyone to stand up, to close their eyes and to open their hands. And we do this for, so that you're not distracted, but we do it also for, the, for what it does when our bodies tell our spirits and our minds that we are open. And we always say it's, a, you know, distant. I'm not telling myself I'm open if I'm doing this. We're, we're going for a posture of openness. And then we add our prayers to your prayers. We say, come Holy Spirit. And usually with our very physical, fleshly eyes, we see things that aren't, it's not like, it's not like we have a special like goggles for like what the Spirit's doing in the room. Usually you can just see things. People start shaking People get flushed. People very often cry. 
because Jesus is beautiful. And, you know, our experience of the world isn't like that. We release pain to him when he fills us up. And then sometimes we will encourage you with a sense of what we're seeing happening, and that's our faith. Our faith gets built when we see that, and then we say it, and then your faith gets risen. There are some really, really uncomplicated things about learning how to see what the Spirit's doing and how he works, and we would love all of you to join with us in this journey of learning what he's like. Um, I would love... Tavia to come up now. What we're going to do, sometimes after a, um, after a talk, we worship, but I don't want us to do that. I want us to go straight into the receiving posture, just so that we can get familiar with the difference of the thought giving out type stuff and the receiving. We're going into a receiving space. Um, and Tavia, you've got a, a new song for us, don't you? She wrote this song this week, just for us. Do you want to stand? absolutely do not have to stand like this with your eyes closed and your hands out. You're very welcome to if you want to. The Holy Spirit has already been very present and real in this service. It was, an, it was a very powerful time of worship, I thought. He always, always wants to meet us, wants us to know more of him. He is always good He has no desire for you to fear him. He is gentle. He is kind. He brings the voice of your Father in heaven who loves you. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you that every person here is an individual, that we receive you differently that your voice to us sometimes sounds different to it does to each other. Thank you that you aren't trying to mold us into the same thing. Come Holy Spirit and bless what you're doing. your love.
feel your grace wash over my skin I'm deep in your river I want to leave the water's edge run deep in your river feel your grace wash over my skin prayer to the front now um, the person praying for you won't ask any probing questions what they will do is just add their faith to your faith they will say things like more of you Holy Spirit I bless what you're doing I'd love to invite you if you've never done anything like this before particularly the first time is always the scariest but let him show you how good he is let him show you how well he knows you, how much he loves you, how invested in your healing he is. And we'll formally close the service here, but do come to the front now if you'd like to receive prayer. <laughs> 